With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I'm Christina Pittam, a creator and entrepreneur. And I'm Danielle Alexandra, a stylist and content creator. And we are... In case you haven't heard, podcast. Are we creators? Are we influencers? Bloggers? We don't even know. We're giving you the behind the scenes and an inside scoop of what really goes down so you know exactly what the fuck is going on. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of In Case You Haven't Heard. And another episode of the How To Series. This is our third episode of the How To Series, and we're going to keep this intro nice and short and sweet for you because we have two special guests today from 437 Swim. The founders, Adrian and Hyla, are going to be on the show today, and they are two beautiful girls that started the brand right out of university. They started the brand right out of Queens. They are entrepreneurs at heart. They found a gap in the swimwear market because they wanted something that would fit their curvy bodies and they wanted to feel good and confident on the beach, so they started 437 Swim. And clearly they weren't the only ones who thought this way because the brand has quickly grown, only being in business for just a few years and has probably become one of the most prevalent swimwear brands on social media, I mean, as an e-commerce business, I think. Yeah, they're killing it. They're international, like we said, and we'll let the two ladies take it away from here. So today's episode, we have Hyla and Adrian, um, the founders of 437 Swim, or 437, which is a swimwear brand that is based out of Toronto, mm-hmm. and um, they sell direct-to-consumer on their e-commerce website, and we're going to include this as a part of our how-to series, so um, we're going to talk about how to build a direct-to-consumer brand, because we thought highlighting them would be a great idea since they've been so successful um, since the beginning of their business. So why don't you girls take it away with an introduction? So we're in the 437 office right now. We're in the headquarters. Uh, so we are a swimmer brand that like specializes in luxury, curve hugging. You know, we're known for our soft fabrics and, as you said, direct-to-consumer. So yeah, that's kind of what our premise is right now. We're swimwear. We love what we do um, in terms of like demographic. If people listening are interested, it's more so like young professionals, someone who probably just graduated from school or maybe is in school, you know, someone with a little bit more discretionary income. We call ourselves our pieces a little more affordable luxury. So you get the luxury from the fabrics, the customer service, to the packaging, to the whole experience, but then you get the affordable side from, you know, not having to pay $400, $300 for a set. All pieces are under $100, but for a full set you're looking at you know, under $200. So that's a little bit about 437. So what about a little bit of an introduction on you guys both individually? So mm-hmm. just who you are, your education, maybe how you got started and how you guys kind of met, because I know this all started in school. And why swimsuits? Okay. <laughs> okay, so I'm Adrian. I'm from Toronto. I went to Queens for commerce, and that's where I met Hyla. We became best friends, like, partway through our first year because we were in the same class together. And yeah, like we basically were just friends throughout university and in third year we went on exchange. So Hala was living in Italy and I was living in France and 
we were pretty much traveling every single weekend. We'd be in Greece or Portugal or Amalfi-Coast, wherever it was. Just goals. Literally. <laughs> yeah, it was honestly the dream. And what we found was, like, we both loved to eat. We were eating every single place we went. And the bathing suits that we were buying there, we had packed, just, like, really weren't flattering us. But we still weren't willing to, like, give up how much we were eating to try and look good on the beach. So we were just, like, this seems like such a bizarre problem for us to have. And, you know, we're both kind of 5'3", like a little bit more on the curvy side. And a lot of the suits that were on the market at that time were definitely like made for slimmer, taller girls. So we just kind of thought like maybe because there isn't a suit out there for us, we can make that suit. So then that's kind of how it all started. And give us a time frame for that. Because now, I mean, I feel like the industry yeah. is super saturated, but for sure. you guys probably started at the forefront of it. Yeah, like we we kind of first started talking about it in like the beginning of 2016. Okay. So Instagram was like just starting to become a big thing for like buying clothes and, yeah, tagging. and tagging and all that. It still wasn't like a huge thing. And I think Victoria's Secret had just discontinued their swim line. So that Perfect was like, timing. A, yeah, like yeah, that was such a kind of, it was such a big thing for us because so many girls would just go to Victoria's Secret to purchase their swim when we were growing up, yeah. right? Victoria's Secret swim was part of my childhood, like, you know, the, oh, such a hard That's way. where I got all my, like, neon bathing suits yes. when I was, like, The 15. padded? I don't know why I thought yeah, I could. Yeah, like, oh my, God. oh, my God. The most uncomfortable thing, and your boobs would go up to here, and, like, half of it would just be a cup. Yeah, like, that was kind of what was happening in the industry at that time, and then we were just like in business school we were traveling so much with exchange that we had this whole mentality of like we'd like to be digital nomads or whatever so we just didn't we all yeah. it's funny because we're literally always in Toronto working it feels so guilty every time we leave but but yeah so that was just I feel like because of the situation we were in with school being in in business school and, and seeing like these new brands emerge on Instagram and like quickly grow to become you know like significant businesses we just felt like oh okay maybe this is something we could try so when we came back from Europe we both were working in different industries Hila was doing a startup incubator that Queens has so she was learning a lot about like the entrepreneurial startup space and I was working at Hugo Boss's headquarters so I was kind of working on like the fashion wholesale side so locally yeah in Toronto okay yeah so we were both kind of doing that and both of us sort of hated what we were doing during the day so literally every single night, Hilo was in Kingston, I was in Toronto, we would just FaceTime every single night. We came up with this idea. We literally started in a McDonald's one day, just like on the fly, like, let's start a swimsuit company. Yeah. And then... 2017, we took it full time. Yeah. We worked on it throughout our entire last year at school. Okay. And when we graduated in April of 2017, we kind of spent that whole year gearing up for this big like manufacturing trip. So we spent six weeks in Asia two weeks in China meeting with like manufacturers and working on our designs, and then a month in Bali shooting everything, redoing our website, doing all of our Instagram and like social stuff. And then when we came back, that was, that was it. Like 437 officially launched in 2017 summer. And was all of that self-funded or did you have investors that came in from the beginning? And like, how does that work? Yeah, everything was self-funded. When we first started, it was, as I said, it was kind of, not like a joke to us, but like it was a passion project. Yeah, it was just like for fun. We were mm-hmm. so in this travel mindset that we were like, it would be so sick if we could just get a little bit of travel money from this. Mm-hmm. So I think that was just, we kind of both put like a little bit of money that we had saved from working that summer and we just took it like a really slow and steady approach to it. We used that first money and, you know, we made sales and we saved literally every single penny that we made and we just continued to reinvest it. And we did that for like 
literally the longest time. Yeah. That's kind of been our business model to date. We didn't pay um, ourselves for the first two years. Like it was. Yeah. So from 2017, you would say until about this year. Er, in 2016. 2016. 2016. <laughs> we were working in prepping till, to 2018. Yeah. Like April, summer, tw- yeah. April 2018 is when we started paying ourselves a very small amount. Yeah. So it was like two years, more than two years. We kind of lived like the startup struggle when we talk about. I think a lot of people see where we are now in terms of like we have this office and we have you know an amazing team and our loft and all of these things and it's easy to kind of look at that and think like that we've always had that but that really wasn't our journey like mm-hmm. Hyla and I didn't have any sort of background in design we didn't really know what we were doing we had no connections we had no following personally or on our company really when we launched we had like 8,000 followers and I think we were somehow naive enough to think like we're gonna sell out all of this inventory that we, we probably purchased. sold a couple pieces the day we launched, right? And one of them being our best friend Kent, who's now our general manager. So it was a very, very slow start. We I mean the first six to eight months of the actual official launch, we had maybe like a couple orders a month. You know, it was very slow. Um, it wasn't until and Hila moved. I yeah. moved to LA for a couple months. Um, you know, why praying that I'll meet somebody or I'll literally I'm I'll doing connect, for London. <laughs> yeah, no, I'll connect with somebody or some. I don't know what I thought. But it was happen. also kind of a personal dream. It's also a personal dream of mine. I've always thought of myself as like a California girl or like just a warm weather baby. Like, so um, I went and yes, I met a lot of people. I worked out of the Soho house every single day trying to talk to as many people as possible, got stood up millions of times by like influencers and models because we were a brand at the time with maybe five, eight thousand followers on Instagram. Like they didn't know who 437 was. Like we were nobodies. Like they just stood me up all the time. It was really disheartening. I remember I'd call Adrian all the time like what the heck because your intention was set out to go and network and maybe you know build relationships with these influencers yeah. in like you know the most popular spot yeah. that became and I'm not be. like some 50 year old guy who's like you know an, an, a boring not relatable businessman to these these influencers I'm like we're all the same age like we can mm-hmm. go hang out kick it like let's just go do something fun but I guess they obviously haven't met me yet or they didn't care or I felt like there was like this mentality in LA like in that moment, I'm just going to go do what's best for me. And maybe meeting with me wasn't that in that moment. Maybe a friend would call them and want to do something else. So they just, they don't care, mm-hmm. you know. So it was really disheartening. And But one day, Tammy Hamber was having a meetup there in, in L.A. And I call, I remember calling Andrew. I'm like, I should go. But I also don't know what's going to come out of it. I want to give her a soup. But she's probably just, like, not going to use it. Or it's just going to go to garbage. But anyways, I was like, you know, let's do it. Obviously put, I don't know, $45 of my personal money to Uber to like north of LA. $45 may not sound like a lot, but to us it was a lot. The, like, yeah, I mean, I sold my Jeep Wrangler to go and live in LA because 437 wasn't paying us. Like I had to pay rent there. Like I don't have like this family that's just gonna be like, hey, you wanna go to LA? Like sure. there's all this money. Like I was paying for my flights, I was paying for my rent there, the Ubers to the Soho house every single day. Like I had to take all the food when we take out influencers, like things like that. So I take an Uber to North LA and wait in line for an hour to meet her. And then eventually when I get up there, I'm like, hey, Tammy, like you've been such a, you know, inspiration role model, like, you know, no expectations, but I really hope you love this suit. And I literally thought that she would maybe give this to her assistant and maybe never see the package again. But the next day she was at the Montage Beverly Hills. She wore it and tagged us and Adrian was trying to get a hold of me and blowing me up. But, you know, in that moment, like it was super exciting. But we're like, wow, I cannot believe this happened. But also like more of a reality check. Like people think you like sell out immediately when something like that happens. You don't. I mean, I'm not sure what would happen if like 
Kim Kardashian wore a suit and that happened and tagged us, we probably would sell out. But, <laughs> you know, we obviously had a couple sales and, you know, maybe a couple hundred followers from that. But I think what that brought to us was validity and, you know, a lot of the people that made fun of us for starting 437 or the people who, like, wouldn't respond to our DMs or, you know, people in Toronto or people anywhere we'd reach out to that we would bring 437 up that didn't take us seriously. They finally had a little bit more respect for us. Mm-hmm. And then we were able to leverage that photo and leverage Tammy Hembro to reach out to other influencers and start that cycle going of gifting and influencer relationships and just, you know, showing the world that, hey, we're like these normal girls behind a similar brand mm-hmm. and we have a great product and we believe in our story. We believe in why we designed these bathing suits in the first place and we just want the world to kind of understand that. So then um, slowly things started picking up and then the summer of 2018 was kind of when like, okay, this is, now we have some traction, this is becoming a real business. And then we hired our first employee, Nura, and we moved out of Adrian's parents' basement. I mean, like that was where our headquarters were, yeah. four little boxes. We like, had like a, a packing, shelf, yeah, and a packing station. It was like as smallest little thing. Yeah. But then eventually, so then that summer we're like, we need a space. We've both um, been living at home for like a year. Not going out for dinners. Literally had zero dollars. Zero money. <laughs> someone was paying us. So you didn't have any other source of income. You guys never were like, okay, you know, maybe I'll do this like side hustle to like help fund this. We always kind of... We joked about we it. We joked about it a lot. We were like, if we could do something that would get us a lot of money, like be a bottle girl or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. yeah, exactly. Or for like sure. do social media management or something like that. But we were so like eyes on the prize. We were so like, if like, we do anything yeah. else, it's going to take away from our time. And we're like... 437 needs to be the thing that we woke up yeah. truly like every single day and even though I was like in my parents house in my pajamas at my computer <laughs> I would spend like that full work day on my computer trying to move 437 forward Hila when she was in LA we would FaceTime every single day like mm-hmm. a few hours a day always kind of be like in the loop on what each other was working on like we just had this this really tunnel vision mm-hmm. like mentality that if we keep grinding and we keep like working this hard and believing in our product and our company, something's going to happen. Yeah, like absolutely. it's going to work. Yeah. And would you say that like, you know, that one experience with that one influencer, Tammy, like actually giving you a chance, is that where you kind of set the validation for, you know what, we're going to commit to doing this because we know it's going to become something or did it come at a later point? I think it even came before that. I mean, yeah. we ne- we always were like, this is what it's going to be like we didn't do recruiting at queens like we didn't have any other offers to go work full-time anywhere else like we said 437 was going to be the thing for us Mm -hmm. but i think when tammy did post it kind of was like finally there's like this hope this reassurance that we're onto something because even the fact that she wore it we're like and the next day we did something right in the design yeah and we did something right in the relationship that i built in the two seconds that she made me that she was willing to tag us when she didn't have to. And it feels sort of like like a snowball effect from there. It's like after that Tammy thing happened, I think Hyla emailed her uh, manager or something, and she responded saying, Tammy, love the suits. We'd love for you to send some more. Here's the address, whatever. That just gave us like a little bit more confidence because mm-hmm. at the time, just think about it as like us being these two 20-year-old or 21-year-old girls with like not knowing if this company that we were investing literally all of our time into was had any real potential but then seeing someone like that who had maybe like 8 million followers believe in us enough to kind of want to wear this product I think that just kind of gave us that extra motivation to be like okay let's keep going no absolutely so diving deeper into your marketing strategy was influencer uh, I guess influencer marketing from the get-go something that you had your 
vision on or your tunnel vision on? Or? Well, it never was like, let's focus on influencer marketing. It was more of, we don't have money. What can we do with these bathing suits that we have in order to help us grow? And it wasn't even like, let's go take advantage of someone who has a lot of followers. It was more like, we are these young girls. I'd like to say we're fun to hang out with. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know, we're like normal. <laughs> you know, we're not like, I want people to like us or influencers to like us because of who we are and because mm-hmm. of the product we have. Genuinely. So instead of us being like, let's go find someone who's going to have has a good amount of followers or whatever, we said, let's go hang out with girls that would like like to hang out with us we'd, we'd vibe with but also we could see them seeing value in our product as well so it was more of just building relationships you know 437 was built on adrian and i being best friends so we said like instead of gifting a girl when i'm in la like let me take her out for dinner or let me take her out for lunch and that's kind of how it all started is we just became friends with a lot of girls and we never really expected much from them you know they obviously knew we had a swimwear brand but that was on their own accord to be like i'd love to try a suit you know it was 100%. more so like let's go grab lunch we became friends and that's kind of how most of the influencers that we work with to date have our that's the relationship we have with them is that we're friends they love our product and we would do anything for them and then we have this reciprocity that you know we help each other out but of course i'd like to say that influencer marketing has definitely been the main growth mechanism of 437 Mm -hmm. because we had no money we couldn't go ahead and pay for facebook ads when we started we couldn't go and pay for a billboard we couldn't do a crazy campaign with a great videographer and have that all over social and we didn't have followers like mm-hmm. we really just had product and who adrian and i were and that's what we had to leverage so we gifted a lot you know we we have the mentality of give give gift don't ask for anything in return you know one of and our- for us that was like actually a challenge because when you're gifting like that and you know that you know you have such a finite amount of product on your hands Plus, like, there's all of the costs associated with gifting, right? It's not just the cost of the product. It's the cost of shipping it to them, the cost of, you know, if it goes missing or something and you have to replace it Mm -hmm. or the size is not not correct and then Mm -hmm. suddenly you're paying for them to return it to you to send them another size. When it goes to the UK, we're paying $100 for a girl to reimbursing her because why does she have to pay that when we're gifting her? Mm -hmm. And also the fear of they're not going to post. You know, I've had an influencer reach out with millions of followers saying, I'm going on this trip, I'm going to YouTube it, I'm going to Instagram story, I'm going to unbox mm-hmm. it, I'm going to tag everything. She requested like 15, 15 suits that cost about $1,000 in retail value. We sent them all to her, so confident, and nothing, and no tag, no YouTube, nothing. And then still when I followed up, and I'm not an aggressive type of person to follow up, I'm like, hey, how are the suits, Do they fit okay? No response. Next email. Hey babe, just checking in. Like, how are this? Like, whatever. No response. Third email, like a couple months later, no response. And that was a that like fifteen suits of the maybe couple hundred we had left in that moment. Mm-hmm. And we were making five hundred dollars a month at that point, like nothing, right? Mm-hmm. Not paying ourselves. So it was really just disheartening because we knew that if we could have sold that, we could have made a thousand dollars. So you know, there's always all of this risk, but. So whenever there was moments like that, did you ever think, okay, maybe we should reevaluate? Maybe we should like have like a really brief contract or posting contract? Mm-hmm. Or you guys were like, I think that that our mentality on some of those things have evolved now that we're at this point of our business, like and owning the business. I think at the beginning we were just so honestly grateful that someone was even responding to us. Mm-hmm. We just we didn't have a lot of followers. We we would reach out to these people with so much you know just like blind hope and faith that they would respond and if they did we were like oh my god 
God. Oh yes, God. like get it to them as quick as possible. Oh We'd be in my my parents' basement, like packing this up to literally ship it out to them and like checking on their Snapchat, their Instagram every single day constantly posting and, it. You know, they would post literally a Snapchat video or something and we'd be screen recording like, oh my God, this is it. Yeah. I think that's just kind of where we were. We were so new to it and just so excited that anyone was even wearing our stuff that we didn't even think of, of that kind of thing. We didn't think we had that sort of leverage on our end that we could have some sort of contract. And still to this date, I mean, we like it's always been in the way that we when we reach out to influencers, we never ask for tags. We never ask them to do anything. We say, hey, we'd love to send you a suit. We get their address, we send it to them, that's it. You know, that's truly like, I think what has made us so successful with influencer marketing and gifting is that we don't expect anything. Let our product speak for itself. You are gonna love our suits and you're gonna want it. Like, even if you don't tag it, all your followers are gonna ask you where it's from. Mm -hmm. Save yourself that time and maybe just tag the brand and, or not. But we'll go in and respond to them if need be. <laughs> but it's just like we never ask for anything in return. I mean, now when we're more established and we're taking an influencer on a trip, we'll say, hey, can you tag a, a couple times? Or, something. Um, yeah. or if we're paying for some content from someone, we'll say, okay, like this is how many posts we'd like. But yeah. again, I mean. I think it's sort of the name of the game. There's kind of like a risk to it the same way that yeah. if you're not willing to kind of come forward with a formal contract and payment plan and stuff, then yeah. you have to be willing to accept the risk of yeah. maybe them not posting or not fulfilling their end of the bargain. It definitely happens. As an influencer, like if you want to build a relationship with a brand, then if they're gifting to you and you don't acknowledge them in any way, then that's okay. You don't have to, especially if you're not getting paid. But my head of partnerships is likely not going to re-gift you again, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. If there's no appreciation, you know, there's people, of course, say, you know, it doesn't fit or whatever. But, you know, if you say you'd like a suit and we send it to you, then if you don't post about it or you don't tag us, then we're not even going to consider paid opportunities for you because you organically are not even interested in the relationship that you can build with us i mean seeing as like you guys use that model and it works really well for you how would you advise maybe a company who has less of a margin in their product um say they're you know say they're made locally or it's a higher price point item that costs more to produce mm -hmm. how would you advise a business like that on influencer marketing um seeing as their mm -hmm. spending would be a lot higher i personally would advise them to raise money in that case because I don't think that you can replace gifting. Like, I think it's so important. That's our there's, business model, yeah. you know? Like, that's where we find our success. For sure, I think there's two sides to it. It's like, if you're gonna try and use that strategy and go really hard on gifting, mm -hmm. I think that capital is actually an issue mm -hmm. there, and that's why Hilo would say that. I think the flip side is that if you wanna still kind of do gifting, but you have, you know, a limited pool of product that you're willing to gift, then every single person that you gift should be mm -hmm. highly considered. Mm -hmm. I think that's what it comes down to. And I think that's the thing yeah. that sometimes people who don't necessarily work in the social media industry don't understand about influencers is just because someone has like a lot of followers doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be driving sales for your company or driving followers back to your company. I think one of the biggest things that we've learned and that Hilo really figured out 4437 was there's certain niches that you can kind of really work with that actually have a much more engaged following than other niches. And understanding like your product's place in these different niches is really important. Some influencers may be amazing for like the content that they provide, but they may not be as great for actually driving sales. And the same for like the flip side, there might be a niche of influencers that doesn't really produce amazing content, but has really amazing engagement from their followers that actually results in sales. So I think like understanding 
what your purpose of gifting is, whether it's driving sales mm-hmm. or gathering content and then really choosing to like strategically gift only for those things. And at the beginning, because you were using kind of the gifting model mm-hmm. and the influencer marketing world, were you producing content as well? Or were you kind of doing half and half, like using the content that the influencers were? Because that's also a plus for, mm-hmm. you know, not only saving like an advertising budget for mm-hmm. like actual advertisements but then also getting this really good high quality content in some cases that you can repurpose not only on your Instagram but like also on your website most of the time we rely on like the user-generated content that we get as our social content that we post I mean every collection that we drop we'll have a shoot for it Mm -hmm. but it's so funny we rarely use those photos I mean we'll use it on the website we'll use it during the launch on social we use it on some stories yeah but our customers really relate to the, the images that the influencers or our customers themselves post. I think that especially in the beginning, though, before we actually had a lot of customers necessarily tagging us in photos or our gifting hadn't necessarily picked up that much, I think that we we just really kind of kept it as low budget as we could and we did as much of it ourselves yeah. as we could. Yeah. Like when we first started, we had, you know, one set of samples Hila and I were in Bali. I was the photographer and Hila was the model. And we like had to make that <laughs> <My> work. <choice. laughs> we just had to make it work for like as long as we could. Yeah, we took a lot of mirror selfies of ourselves, yeah. covered our faces, yeah. posted those, you yeah. know. And we did a lot of graphic content. So rather than necessarily always having the, the suit, like someone wearing the suit, we would have like flat lays of the suit or just kind of like photoshopped images of the suit, things like that, just because it allowed us to continue to post without a lot of content. And we recycled content like crazy. If we had, if we posted one photo and it did really well, we'd be like, this is the photo. And we kind of make sure we keep posting <laughs> it. Yeah, we, the photo got reposted about once every two weeks. <laughs> like, Hyla's Why like, not, right? Hyla's like, if I'm going to be emailing all these people, every time they come onto our page, I want them to make, like, I want them to see that Tammy was wearing our suit. So we had to make sure that at all times on the grid, you could see that Tammy was in our suit, you know? <laughs> and, and still to this day, we have kind of algorithms on how we like to have our Instagram too. I mean, it's never really set, but it's like, when someone lands on our page, we want them to see great influencer content, great customer content, some sort of celeb, large influencer that you might recognize, Winnie Harlow, you know, maybe somebody else, and then also maybe some PR articles. So now if you're an editor at Vogue, something relates to you. If you're just a customer that wants to feel relatable to this body type, and then also like the inclusivity and the skin color and the and the body shapes and mm-hmm. sizes, like that's, when you see our 9 to 12 posts, like we want to make sure there's a variety of all of that at all times. I love that, actually. Yeah. I never really thought about that. Well, mm-hmm. because it's, it is it is true. It's a visual-based platform, and mm-hmm. you have one second, really. Like, if yeah. you go on, and if you don't like what you see at the beginning, you're going to click off. Yeah. Completely. You're yeah. not going to kind of care to, like, dive deeper into highlights or, like, go on their story or no. scroll yeah. down and see, yeah. you know, what last collection was maybe so seeing how this is a part of the how-to series um we're just going to kind of break down this part a little bit more so that if people were listening and they wanted to learn how to build a really strong e-commerce brand Mm -hmm. it'd be easier to follow um but the first would actually be maybe a piece of advice so uh, obviously the bikini sort of industry is Mm -hmm. super saturated now it seems like every influencer that's huge drops their own bikini line yes so how would you advise someone now who wanted to start it doesn't have to be in bathing suits, just maybe start in a saturated mm-hmm. market or mm-hmm. the perception of a saturated market. I mean, first and foremost, I would truly evaluate why I want to be in this said saturated market. Do I have a passion that lies there? 
or am I just doing this because everyone else is doing it? Mm -hmm. Because I've always been that person that said, like, you know, if I was, let's say, um, an athlete, I wouldn't come out with a fitness apparel brand. I would maybe come out with a platform for fitness and something else to be connected, or I'd come out with, like, a protein powder, or I'd come out with something that's not as saturated. So I would truly, like, I think, reevaluate, like, do I have a passion for a bathing suit or an apparel line, especially in an industry that's so saturated? But then after that, I would be like, you know, I think there's so many people out there who are so quick to copy another brand. Like, let me do kind of what they did and make some small tweaks. I would truly just find like, why am I doing this? And truly bringing out like my core values and beliefs and making that my niche in the swimwear market. Because hands down, if someone launches a swimwear brand today, they can come and, and beat us, no problem. I mean, or be just as big or become a dominant player if they did the exact right things or they had their own voice in the swimmer market. I mean, there's so many different types of swimmer brands for so many different types of people that, you know, our brand is not gonna speak to someone who's 45 and has kids and wants a bunch of full coverage suits, right? And our brand is also not gonna speak to a 16 year old girl who doesn't have $200 to spend on a bathing suit. So I'd say like really trying to be your own brand and differentiate yourself you know when we started 437 mm -hmm. we created a perception map positioning positioning map on, on a board and we kind of wrote all the players that off the top of our head we knew so on like the x and y axis we had price and we also had maturity so if you could get like kind of for example if you had low price low maturity you have something like a forever 21 right if you had like high price and then like a more mature brand something like a designer brand, a designer brand like a fendi bathing suit let's say someone who wants to spend like 800 dollars on a suit so we kind of then put a lot of the swimmer brands on this map and kind of said well where do we want to be i think that's really important to do because you'll see that at one point you notice there's so many in one saturated area there's a reason why there's so many in that one area and that's okay to be another player in that saturated area because there's that many more customers, mm -hmm. but also what is your spin to it? Maybe are you a little bit more affordable? Are you a little bit more mature? Like what is your you need a different sort of like competitive yeah. advantage? I yeah, guess. exactly. Mm -hmm. yeah. So then this was done prior to any manufacturing. So you knew exactly what your market. They knew yeah. exactly what to do. <laughs> no, but so then the advice could also be like you need to know you need to know this before you even go into manufacturing, so that your margins are there right off the bat. And you need to do this before you even have a name for the brand yeah. and the how much you're going to charge and what the brand is going to yeah. be. Obviously, like, us having a commerce background for sure helps. And I think the way that we were thinking at the time definitely, like, led us to do some of those types of things. But at the same time, like, we really didn't know what we were doing. Like, Still. yeah, when we were deciding on our pricing and stuff like that, like, we were just on Google. Like, how do you price something? Like, just yeah. literally arbitrarily deciding and things. We launched with a price, and, like, two weeks later, we, we changed it. it. Because we're like, this was way too much. I don't know what we were thinking. And we've done all sorts of stuff. So I think it's just, like, you realize that even though you kind of do this legwork at the beginning to make sure you're prepared, you have to just really be willing to, like, make those iterations as you go. Yeah. Because... After we launched, like, that's when we actually started learning things and realizing, like, maybe our mind wasn't, like, the exact right place. Like, let's switch it up a little bit. And over time, I think that's where you really find, like, what works for you. So there's no right way, and it's really just kind of, like, adapting to, like, changes yeah. that you have to adapt to. I think so. It's all perseverance. I think yeah. you will get, you have to guess, just throw yourself in, make some mistakes, iterate, but yeah. just keep going. Like, that's the biggest thing, because there's no right or wrong answer. Yeah. 
to this day, we still have to guess what we're doing, you know? Uh, we don't know how to, like, we've never been taught how to run a company with, like, 11 employees at this point. It's you a know, constant, we, it's like, a learning constant experience. Learning. Every single day, like, yesterday, we were sitting there stressed out of our minds. Like, what you is, know, like, what is our life? Like, what are we doing? Like, we're stressed, so stressed out. Like, we're like, we need a business coach to de-stress. Like, <laughs> we, like, it's crazy. It's so many ups and downs. But, like, yeah. the main thing is you've got to keep going. Fail quickly, too. I yeah. think one of the things that we did really well at the I beginning. I love that. I've heard that piece of advice many times, and it's honestly, The like, most important thing. Seriously, if I could tell you, like, in the first one year of Hyla and I going to 437 full-time, the amount of times that we had, like, devastating failures was so frequent. And I think, like, maybe the first time or second time we were, like, pretty shaken by it. And we were kind of going through these these things that we couldn't believe that we were in the situation. And it was like, it felt like everything was on the line. Like there yeah. was moments where we were going to be, like we were going to bankrupt the company, right? Yeah. So when we're looking at that, it was, we couldn't believe we we're in these situations. And then we just sat there, we're like, okay, how are we getting through this? Yeah. We figured us like a plan out and we just went with it. And then the next thing would happen in a different area of the business, there'd be like some huge, you know, issue that comes up to us. And then same thing. And then you know, the more and more like we were faced with these challenges, the more and more we kind of learned how to adapt to them and yeah. how to move through them without feeling like it was earth shattering every yeah. single time. And now when a challenge arises, we're like, it's like you shrug it off. It's like, okay. It happens. We know it's not going to be our last challenge that's going to arise. We kind of just think, how are we going to get through this? Mm -hmm. All right. How can we get through this quickly? Okay, great. And did you ever seek out mentors um, while you were in the process of trying to figure it out? Or were you guys kind of like each other's mentor, I feel like? Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. I think that it would have been amazing if we did have more mentorship. I think we've just, neither of us really had like a, a mentor that we were in frequent contact with at the mm -hmm. time. And because of it, it was sort of isolating. We didn't really have like formal guidance. But yeah. that being said, I think... The one thing that we did from the beginning that was like really helpful to both of us was we followed a lot of brands and we followed a lot of founders on Instagram. And so when you follow like a founder of a brand, I think you get just a whole different level of insight into like what their day to day is and what the back end of you know running a business actually is. And I think looking at all these people we were following, that just kind of gave us a benchmark for like where we thought we could be based on like... Mm -hmm what we saw them doing, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and like a more realistic evaluation of like, hey, it yeah. looks like this, yeah. but like what is it actually like yeah. to have this role exactly. as like a founder? And um, So what does a day in the life look like for you guys? I guess maybe from the beginning and then now. Yeah. At the beginning it was so different because it was just the two of us. So it was literally like, Everything that had to happen in the company just You're split like, I'll in do two. it today, you do it today. <laughs> it was Yeah, the beginning it was like Adrian thinking of like what is our first collection design gonna be, the names of the suit, mm -hmm. answering customer emails, and I'm over here emailing two hundred influencers seeing if anyone wants to collaborate on a collection with us and get one response out of the two hundred. You yeah. know, like that's what our days were like. Yeah. Very grind grinding yeah. and trying to get just one good thing to happen. Yeah. And the division was you more marketing focused, you more design and operations. Yeah. And still like that still to like this that. day. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. obviously you've de delegated a lot of the tasks now because mm -hmm. you said you have 11 employees, yeah. Yeah. which is incredible. Including us. Including yeah. us. <laughs> yeah. Um, what are like the main like three things that say is your role that you cover every day? Like on a broader spectrum, I think right now, or it kind of depends on the time of year because as I just said, like I do kind of design and operations. So both of those areas of the business have times during the year that 
you know, they one is busier out. than the other, right? Right now, we're kind of in crunch time for design. So it feels like right now I've got my design hat on a lot more and I'm really working with our design team to make sure that like we finalize everything we needed to and production is going to finish when we need it to in time for like all of the kind of marketing things that we've already sort of planned out for the next year. So I'd say like checking in with the design team and just making sure like we're on track for all of that is something that's I've been doing every day. And then operations, I'd say like it's kind of split. There's current operations like dealing with shipping out our orders and managing like the warehouse that we're using and like that sort of stuff. But there's also operations of like making sure that for the future, all of the packaging needs that we have, we've been looking into now so that we can order them in time for when we need them. And inventory, inventory yeah, exactly. Like forecasting how much we're gonna be selling throughout the next six to eight months and figuring out, okay, when are those orders happening? What new collections or colors are we dropping? And like working backwards to figure out like when all of these orders need to happen. So it's literally just kind of working with like the different people on our team who cover all of those like on the day-to-day and making sure that everything's sort of flowing. And are you still in direct communication with like the manufacturers and suppliers or did you delegate that? I delegate, but I mean, <laughs> I'm, I'm still in the chats. So if I want to kind of step into it, I can. I'm still on the emails too. So I feel like I have a bit of a higher level. It used to be like until the summer, I was every single day on WeChat with a manufacturer. <laughs> so I'm like a little bit glad to be, you oh, know, for sure. past, the, past that. The <laughs> yeah. But you know, I also miss it because it's really nice having like such a direct uh, relationship with your manufacturer and I felt like both my feet were like fully into it. I enjoyed this because I think I get just like a, I get to work on more things that I enjoy rather than having to spend so much time on one thing. I think that's kind of what we've gotten from actually stepping mm-hmm. back and like having more people on our team is just getting to touch more things that we enjoy. Mm-hmm. Adrian also oversees cash flow, which yeah. she doesn't love doing, but is the best at it. <laughs> and the most cause... important thing I'd yeah. say, right? Yeah, no, that, that actually I do spend a lot of time on. Yeah. Like she's our FX trader for an because we everything is USD for us. So like yeah. she's every single day looking at the, the dollar rates. rates and she's like, oh, today's a good day. I'm gonna transfer over yeah. money. It's true. I choose not to talk about that one as much sometimes. But yeah, no, it's important. I think yeah. it's um, something people don't really think about. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Everything that happens like for the company, it pretty much happens in these like four walls, right? So someone on the team is doing it. Mm-hmm. And did you always charge in USD from the beginning? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But now on our website, you can pay in your currency. currency, but we get it cashed out in US. In US. Mm-hmm. And it's just converted for that day, or is it just yeah. like a standard conversion? Yeah. All right. And, and so the uh, three top things that you do. Anything relating to growing the business from what the world sees in terms of customers and influencers. So, you know, for me, the main things are like big collaborations. So not the everyday like suit for um, a tag type stuff, which we don't even do that stuff. It's just all gifting, but it's more so who are we collaborating with this summer on a large collection together, you know, Mm -hmm. working six to eight months out with them or even a year out with them talking about those sort of, I mean, it's so funny because that is my role, but I feel like every single day I'm doing other stuff pulled away and I don't even get to move those forward. But a lot of those are about like the everyday, like touch points I have with that girl, you know, about like me becoming friends with her and going to LA and having a dinner with her and, and things like that. Um, so building these relationships every single day so that one day when we're ready to do a collection together, yeah. the relationship is so strong. So you're like PR marketing, everything wrapped yeah. into one little. Yeah. Kyla yeah. also kind of controls like, yeah, our brand voice in the sense that, 
she'll overlook like our Instagram stories and our emails and make sure like all the copy and mm-hmm. imagery and everything that's going out so that like is customer facing aligns with like what we want it to be aligning with. Mm-hmm. Just like overall, like looking at the business and thinking, okay, these are all the things that are happening. How can we sell it all? Mm-hmm. You know, like Adrian will come to me with some design ideas and I'm like, this is a great top. I just don't know if it's going to sell because it's not as obvious to a customer how great it is. Let's add like this feature to it that, oh my God, now you got six tops in one because of this one thing we just added. Mm-hmm. Like things like that or let's sell this as a bundle or create like these bundles together and, and a lot of just like business development mm-hmm. alongside Adrian. It's just, and I work a lot uh, really closely with our head of partnerships, Bella. She is in charge of, like <laughs> she has this list of hundreds <laughs> of influencers and you know, partners that we work with and just kind of checking in with her on like, okay, so January we're launching this product, you know, now that it's six weeks out, like, have you gifted it yet? What's the feedback been? Who hasn't posted this month? Kind of checking in with her on her overall strategy of influencer marketing and partnerships. So you also do web. I also do. I overlook web design and like how it feels and it looks to the customer. Just everything that people see at 437. Like I just, I mean, obviously other than designs, I kind of just make sure it's all in voice with like what we believe in, where we want our brand to be. And mm-hmm. a lot of the things Adrian and I work on is just what's happening a year from now. Where are we going to be? How much money do we need to get there? Yeah. How much money are we trying to bring in? Any stuff that's kind of just like the business side of mm-hmm. things is that's what we work on together. And I think mm-hmm. like we, we have these conversations that allow us to see like, okay, what are our goals for that one year out or whatever? And then with that in mind, we kind of, look back at the present and say like are we doing things right now that it's helping mm-hmm. us get to that goal yeah. so we do like a lot of goal setting and stuff like that amongst the two of us and then mm-hmm. we yeah. kind of peel off to our own sides and like actually yeah. execute oh and like one thing i love about my role that i forgot to mention is <laughs> influencer trips and like pop-ups and yeah. all those sort of like in-person activation mm-hmm. stuff like that is so fun like and this year you both get to benefit from both them. yeah I just, yeah i do more of like the work preparing for it but i just get told like when I need yeah. to be there. Oh my god, last year when we did all these influencer trips, I'd be like, Adrian, like next week we're going to Turks. She's like, oh, oh, is that next week? Okay, great. Like, she has no idea. I literally must know. be nice. Like, no, but it's stressful. I'm like, what, like when? Like, when am I back? Like, yeah, so she's like, okay, like, what's our travel plan for next year? Because like January, February, March, like we're like booked up. And she's just like, I'm like, you need to put this in my calendar. Like, this is my calendar. <laughs> I don't feel like I know what it is. Yeah. But I love that part of it. Like, yeah, that's the exciting successful, part. Like, do like duo you know like you're doing one side of the business you're doing the other together you're like a non-stop like unstoppable team because she wouldn't probably like to do some of the things that i do like you know, more of like the pe- like all the meetings and the highlights like, very like, like all the things that, like, and... I have to go and talk to people for hours nonstop and very like extroverted like energy feeding type things. And Adrian, you know, would love to be behind a massive monitor Alone. with a coffee <laughs> with her like R and B Jacquees and Trey songs playing and you know just working on like inventory place orders and like mm-hmm. just figuring out all her stuff. And I wouldn't want to be doing that. I'd rather be in LA, you know, meeting with people at the Soho House. So. It works so perfectly. Mm-hmm. I love how we work together. No, that's amazing. Yeah. So something we like to ask on our podcast is sort of the assumptions that people have about, you know, the space that you're in. Is there mm-hmm. any off the top of your head that you guys hear all the time and you're like, this is fucking bullshit or like... For sure. <laughs> maybe speak on a couple of those. I think like one of the big ones is just... I think it just has sort of like a negative connotation when you say like, oh, I have a swim, I have a swim more brand. Mm-hmm. Especially being like, 
young female, when you just say that to someone, people don't necessarily take you seriously. It's like fluffy for them. It's so fluffy. Here's what the responses you'll get if you're at a bar and you tell someone you have so much, <laughs> especially to a man. He says, oh, so you guys have a website? Do you guys make sales? Like, do you have an Instagram? Do you guys have an Instagram? Like, I'm sorry, if I said I'm a lawyer, you wouldn't say, do you have any clients? Yeah. Do you work in an <laughs> office? Like, it's... Very. It's like when my parents, like if my parents' friends ask me what I do, if they don't know, let's say, I will never say, I have a swimsuit company. I'm going to be like, oh, I work for an e-commerce brand. Like I would just say something that sounds much more Because there's a legitimate. stigma. There's, there's yeah. a, a huge stigma. That's such a shame because it's like you're entrepreneurs, you're mm-hmm. like, you have this business that you've grown from the conception to now. And it's mm-hmm. like, fuck it. I have a swimsuit brand. Like mm-hmm. this is what I do. And it's not viewed as as I guess credible or like yeah. legitimate. Yeah, I feel weird saying I have a swimwear brand. I feel so like, oh, I'm about to lose a lot of respect from you. It's so yeah. sad that I feel that. Yeah. But it's something that we're obviously working with, working on, and I think it's also the way you say it too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But we all we always find that we're in these positions where we feel like we have to like validate validate it with like, this is how many employees I have. Here, look at the Instagram, look how many followers we have. Or, like, like I went to business school. I went to business no. school. It's like you can't just say I have a swimwear brand and, and earn the respect that you would if you validated it. It's, mm-hmm. it's a little twisted. Sure. And why do you think that is? Like, do you think it's just because, like... I think just, like, being sweet. young, being yeah. a girl, yeah. it being in maybe, like, swim especially, yeah. just... And also, as you said, like, the space is extremely saturated, and you said every influencer yeah, is starting sure. something in that space, and every girl is starting a swimmer brand, it seems, sometimes. So it's, like... You know, when you have one po- uh, popping up every single day and every person, a lot of girls you follow on Instagram with swimmer brand, it loses it, you know, loses it a little bit. Um, and uh, yeah, like what Adrian said, swimwear, bikinis, like everyone's like, oh, why are you in Toronto own a bikini company? Yeah. Yeah. It's called e-commerce. Yeah. <laughs> I don't just sell to Toronto. I could be in Thailand on the laptop doing the exact There's same like thing. There's like the yeah. same 10 questions that people consistently ask us. And then guys say, oh, like, do you need any models? Like, that's the next thing oh everyone says. Oh, my like, What differentiates you guys? Is it the... Guys always ask that. They say, like, what differentiates you? Yeah, what's your value prop? you and you would... It would make sense to you. Like, it just... It, you just try to, like, get a rise out of you, I find. Yeah, for sure. Know, it's and annoying. And so, last question, just kind of... Did you... When you started the brand, I mean, you obviously started as a passion project, mm-hmm. but... Do you guys always want to be part of the business or is it something that you're thinking like the longevity of it, you're going to build it, you're going to kill it, and then you want to sell it possibly? We never really thought of selling as an exit strategy or an exit strategy at all. We've kind of just been like four, three, seven like, for, for life. For life. <laughs> <laughs> I think that we know that our role over time is going to change in the business. Even how it is now versus how it was you know, six months or a year ago is obviously super different, but... I think it's like as we kind of get older and our interests change and like what we're really like passionate about in the business maybe like evolves, we just sort of tailor like what we do on the day to day to that and then, mm-hmm. you know, see where the company goes and yeah. what we want to be doing. I bet you, you know, when we incorporated, we incorporated under 437 Inc. for a reason and not 437 somewhere. I feel like, you know, we kind of feel like the world, We've is, manifested like, yeah, like, that. The world is the, our oyster, like it can become anything doesn't have to be swimwear it can just about anything so we've kind of just always had that mentality of like maybe 10 years from now when we have a family and all that stuff maybe it's not going to be swimwear I mean maybe it'll swimwear still be there but maybe it's a host of different things or maybe it's moved into a different direction um even this year you guys will see in like the next four months something a lot different too so we have a lot of exciting stuff coming up. I can't say anything so 
exciting. exciting. Yeah. Well, yeah. thank you guys so much for um, sharing all that information. Of I think course. everyone's going to have a lot of value. Yeah, um, and provided a lot of value. Why don't you let us know where we can find you, where our audience can find you yeah, guys. Drop your, drop your plugs. <laughs> so our Instagram is at 437swimwear, and then our website is www.437swimwear.com. And if, what's you your reach out, if you want to reach out to us personally to ask us any questions or anything like that, um, our, our personal handles, mine's Hyla Nayeri, and just look for Hyla, H-Y-L-A. I should be one of them. We'll drop it in the show notes yeah. so you guys can click. And Adrian Vadio. No, thank, thank you so much for having us. us. And as always, guys, please subscribe. <laughs> we we always forget, we so always I have forget. to plug that in. Please subscribe, rate us on the Apple Podcast app. Five stars, please, and thank you. Do and it. drop a comment. <laughs> we'll see you guys next week. Bye. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.